0: Today's reading is Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have, in, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated.
1: My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor on staff here at Grace. Um, If you're cold, you're not crazy. And if you aren't cold, I can't say the same for you. So I don't know what's going on, but I feel—I just want to like be up here in my puffer jacket, because how I feel. Um, I also want to express—you know, Beth said it earlier—but I want to express many thanks to you, this community, for um, the support and the encouragement um, and the real like presence that you've been to. Um, to the staff here, to the elders, to one another. It really is a beautiful thing to witness and to be part of. Um, And so would you? we're going to actually turn our attention to God's Word, and we're going to um, listen to what God might have for us. And this is really an opportunity. I think it's the posture of kind of just opening the Word of God, suggests humility, saying, Okay, God, this is your Word. We are your people. Say something to us. And we believe that God wants to and will. So let's pray that that will take place. Lord God, you are are with us. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who speaks to us. You are a God who is present to us through one another. And what a beautiful thing it is to be part of that. God, I thank you for what you've done through your son, Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that you have brought together a people for yourself to bear witness to who you are in the world. Thank you that we get to be part of that. God, I ask that as we, as a people, open your word that we would be attentive to what it is you might have for us, what you want to say to us, and that we would be transformed By what it is you say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, You know, one of the questions that kind of came in on Monday as we were talking as a staff, because it didn't seem immediately obvious, was, do we continue in the book of Jonah? Um, And perhaps that might seem like an obvious uh, answer to you. It was one of those things, given what um, has happened over the last week, and our our senior pastor resigning and and kind of going into this... um, ...into this series, we were thinking, so is this an opportunity to do something different? Or is it something that we continue to go forward with? Um, and, you know, as we were kind of talking as a staff, and even with elders... ...there was a real, I think, consensus of perspective, which is... ...well, there are pros and cons to, to doing either, either thing. Uh, but there is this sense, or at least I'm intrigued by, and many of us were intrigued by... Is ...just because we're in a different circumstance... And now than we were God's word can still speak Right, and it's even more intriguing to me to consider the possibility of well, how might God speak differently? Through his same word Given maybe where we find ourselves And I think that's an interesting question because often I or you we come into this place together and we find ourselves in so many different places Every hour if you're a parent of a young child. It's like every five minutes um, something seems different than it was before and life is both shattering and then also it's amazing um, But God's Word can speak No matter where we are and that's actually the, the fundamental belief right that we have is that we, we serve a God who speaks to us And speaks to our very lives no matter where we find ourselves So Jonah We're going to stay with Jonah and I actually think that um, Jonah, As we turn into Jonah 2 today, it seems very appropriate Uh, this prayer that Jonah is going to pray um, is, I think, one of the things that um, we can learn from as a community who needs to be entering into a season of prayer. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Jonah 2, it's on page um, 774 in the Blue Bibles, which are underneath your seat. And um, so just a little bit of context in terms of where we are in the book. So Jonah is this book about a prophet that um, has a problem with God, that God calls this prophet Jonah to go and and to speak, preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, which the city of Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which were the enemies of Israel. And so Jonah was, he thought, that sounds like a terrible idea, Um, and I think partly because he knew who this God was, that God is a god Of mercy and God is a God of repentance, and so Jonah kind of perhaps knew where the story would end. And it's like, no way, I don't want repentance for my enemies. So then Jonah decides to flee, and so he decides to get on a boat to Tarshish. So that's like God asking us to go speak a word of repentance to Florida, which do with that what you will. I mean, Florida, uh, and but then but. (laughs) But then Jonah decides to go to Alaska, um, and to go to complete opposite ends. He's like, no way, I'm not going there, I'm going to go as far away as possible. So he gets on this boat, and God, it says in Jonah, um, that he begins to raise this storm. And, and Jonah's asleep, and, the, and the, the people in charge of the boat, um, the sailors, if you will, they said... Uh, they, they wanted to get Jonah's idea of what's going on, and, and they kind of have this idea that perhaps God is uh, this, or this, this God, or a God was, was doing this. And so they say, Jonah, is this, is this because of you? And, and Jonah says, yes, basically. And, and the sailors are like, what are we going to do? And Jonah's like, well, just throw me over. Um, and that will, that will basically calm the sea and the storm. And, and, and so they actually do that they throw Jonah over. It says that the, the sea it subsides, or the storm subsides. And then Jonah 1 ends with Jonah being swallowed up by a big fish. Now, one of the things that, that we've been saying about the book of Jonah is that often it's this idea of it being a children's story, right? And the question becomes, like, wow, like, is this a real, is this a real historical thing that happened? Well, I think that Sort of honing in on that question removes the possibility of the other ways that God can speak through the book, which is in many ways feels like a parable, that what we have in the book of Jonah is a story about a prophet who has a problem with God and runs away from God, and also a story that God continues to chase after those people who run away from him, or cities or empires that are opposed to him. That God is a God of mercy who is willing to go after those who oppose him. And so it's not the the primary question isn't did this really happen, but the primary questions are what might this say about God and who he is, and what might it say about being a people who claim to follow after this God. Because the language in this book is really amazing in that it's, it's hyperbole. And you have these archetypal characters, right? You have the prophet and you have the pagans and it completely subverts anything that's going on. That the prophets who are supposed to be the mouthpiece of God and who are supposed to follow after God are actually Jonah is the one who though says he fears the Lord, his actions suggest otherwise. But then you have the pagans, these sailors, who aren't part of Israel, who don't follow after God, but then we're told by the narrative that they are, in fact, the ones who do fear the Lord. So you have this subversion of archetypes that the book of Jonah is wanting to have a word for us to really, that this God, whom we think we know, could possibly be different, more different than we thought. And I think that's an incredible incredible word of hope for us now, today. So where do we begin in Jonah 2? So at the end of Jonah 1, like I already said, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Then if you start in Jonah 2.1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And I just want to stop there. Because the writer is so bent on wanting to make sure that we recognize, that we understand that Jonah is in this, the belly of the fish while he's going to be praying. So is the question then, well, how did how did Jonah come up with this amazing poetic prayer while in the belly of the fish? No, that's not the question. The question is, what might we as readers need to be thinking about as Jonah's going to be praying? What might the belly of the fish actually be a, a metaphor for or a symbol of? Well, I've never been in a belly of a fish, um, and, but I assume and I imagine, at least what that image sort of conjures up in my mind, is this place of confinement, right? This place of darkness. This place of actually, like, I wouldn't imagine that there's a lot of space in the belly of a fish. If you know otherwise, let me know. Um, But there's this sense of just being, like, absolutely closed down and almost suffocated. Dark. Cold. I mean, this is the place... From which Jonah is praying. This is the image. That is to be in our mind. But then also. We need to consider the language. Of Jonah being swallowed up. Because that's actual language. In the Bible. That, have been used, that has been used for various things. In regard to the life of Israel. Now just some examples. If you were to look at Hosea 8.8. 8, there's an image of Israel being swallowed up by its own sin. That the people of Israel have actually opposed God, and that it says that they are swallowed up by themselves, by their own sin in opposition to who God is. In Jeremiah 51:34, there's language of the, the, the empire of Babylon swallowing up the people of Israel. You have this, this, this power who is going in to overthrow the people of Israel and the image or the words is like being swallowed up by them, by their power, by their opposition to God. Then you have this, this word in Psalm 124. Actually, if you want, go ahead and turn there. I think it's a really fascinating passage. Psalm 124. It's in page 517 of the Blue Bibles. It says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Does that sound familiar? Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So here, the people of Israel are actually just finding themselves in a situation in which their, their circumstances, though somehow not even able to be explained, they're being swallowed up by the darkness of their circumstances. So as we go through this prayer, as you read this prayer, I think we can see it from a few different angles, right? I mean, we can see it from the angle of, of that, that Jonah himself is swallowed up by this fish, but he's swallowed up really by his own decisions. He's swallowed up by his own sin. But then here's a prayer also, if we think about the image in the Bible, that, that to be swallowed up is to be also affected by the sins of others. Or by the empire, right? The empires of others or the decisions of others. That, we, that the sin of other people kind of spills over and affects us to the point where we feel like we're swallowed up by what we're experiencing. But then you might find yourself in a place in life where you just simply, you don't, you can't explain what is going on. And you feel swallowed up by the sadness or the darkness of your life is just falling apart and there's really no explanation. But this is, so this is a prayer for us. This is a prayer that Jonah is going to pray that can hit us from these different angles of where we might find ourselves. So let's continue in the prayer. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. There's this, there's this image of Jonah just crying out for help. Have you ever been in a position where you've just literally had to just say, Help me. Like, I need your help. That's this image here. As a staff, we were talking this last week about, What do you as an individual need prayed for? Like, for you, right now. And one of the staff members, they responded in, I think, the most appropriate way. Is He said that, he's like, you know, I can't think of a better prayer right now for us as a community than help. Help, God. Like, we need your help. And that is really the posture of Jonah here. I called out in my distress from the belly of Sheol, from the belly of the dead, from the belly of the beast. And the word of hope is you answered me. That even in the belly of the beast, God answers and God hears. And now this is typical of Israel prayer. That help, a cry for help, actually initiates the work of God. If you think about the book of Exodus, the end of Exodus 2, it says the, people, the cries and the groans of Israel rose up to God. And it says he heard and he knew And that activates God into this rescue operation for his people of Israel from Egypt. So Jonah calls out to the Lord out of his distress, and the Lord heard his voice. And in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This part in the prayer is really fascinating to me. Because it almost suggests, like what Jonah is saying, that God, you are responsible for what is going on. But if we've kind of gone through Jonah 1, we actually know that it wasn't God who made Jonah disobey. It wasn't God who made Jonah flee. But those were actually Jonah's actions. So how is it in this prayer that he is making or saying that God is responsible for what is going on? And I don't know what to do with that. But one of the things that is, I think, that is happening, is that the people of Israel, they really live within this tension between human and divine agency. Human and divine responsibility. And the question is, who's really at work? And that even in somebody's foolish decisions, even in this prophet disobeying and being in the boat and being cast over, even there... Somehow, God is involved. Somehow, even in the midst of what seems like confusion and chaos and craziness and darkness and utter sadness, somehow, even there, God is. And this, I think, is a word of hope. And it's a word of hope, because we have promises throughout Scripture that what people intend for evil, God works for good. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the actual language from Genesis chapter 50, in the story of Joseph. Joseph is thrown into slavery or into a pit and then taken up by... Um, where, where, where was he? Somebody tell me? How many anybody? Did he where did he go? Egypt. That's what I thought. Okay. I was going to say that. And then I was like, man, that's lame. Um, so yeah, thank you, Dan. So Egypt. So, so Joseph is actually, he's, he's sold as a slave to Egypt, right? And then, and then over time, he's in prison and, and things start to happen. And then he's, he's kind of given this incredible office in the Egyptian empire. And his brothers come back and, and, and they're extremely apologetic, partly because Joseph is a big deal. And they're, they're kind of freaked out about what he's going to do. And Joseph has this incredible word of what you intended for, for evil. God works for good. That somehow, even in, in, in the decisions, in the foolish decisions that we are responsible for, or that others are responsible for, or even when our life feels like it's falling apart and we have no idea why, there is a word of hope that even in that, God is at work. Even in that, God is at work. And Jonah is sure of that. Then I said, verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There's this this language of, like, this is continued going down and down and down. I'm driven away. The waters closed in on me. The deep surrounded me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mean, Jonah this image of just getting like almost more and more confined and closed in on and suffocated and dark. And then there's this amazing word in the prayer and this amazing word in Scripture and it's the word yet. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Even in the down, down, down depths of darkness, of death, of sadness, of disorientation, of confusion, there God is. And it's actually a really remarkable moment in the prayer because it's the moment in the prayer where God becomes most personal. Because He says, Oh Lord, Right? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the word for Yahweh. Oh, Lord, my God. Even in the darkest depths of life, where Jonah is finding himself, there God becomes his. That's a remarkable thing. And that's a word for us. That here, in this moment, in the belly of the fish, Jonah is given a gift of relationship. Of a personal interaction with God. And an opportunity to trust. And that is what we are given now, today. Where we find ourselves. That we are given an incredible opportunity to trust God. Our Lord, our God. Somebody says it this way. When we reach to the point where things simply make no sense, when our thinking about God and life no longer line up, when any sense of certainty is gone, and when we can find no reason to trust God but we still do, well, that is what trust looks like at its brightest, when all else is dark. That is what trust looks like at its brightest, when all else is dark. When we get to these moments in the depths and in the darkness and our lives seem like it's closing in on us and we lean into that yet, even there, our God is. Our Lord, our God. That is when trust shines brightest. And this is the turn of the poem. This is the turn of the prayer. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Wait, it's like a record scratch. Wait a second. Why is he talking about idols? That doesn't make any sense. Because idolatry, right? Like the most aggressive form of idolatry is autonomy. It's this idea that you don't need God. What you need is, is gods that you yourself can fashion. Well, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love because when you don't need anyone else in the belly of the beast but yourself, there is no hope. When you think that you are the only one who can get yourself out of the darkness and the depths and the sadness, there is no reason to cry for help. And therefore, there is no reason for God to be motivated and activated. So if you sense in yourself that this is a moment, wherever you might find yourself in life, okay, I just need to rise up. I just need to find the strength and courage in my own self. I just need to do this. If you find yourself with that temptation, there is the the absolute possibility that you will forsake the hope of steadfast love. Because there is no reason to cry help. And there is no reason to need the God of steadfast love to rescue. Verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. See, when we pray and we cry for help and God is motivated and activated and He comes through and He brings our lives out from the pit, then we say salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see that God is the God of steadfast love, the God who does hear us in the belly of the beast, the God who not only hears us but is with us and becomes our God, my Lord, my God in that moment and it's from there that God will raise us up and we cry salvation belongs to the Lord and in the life of Jonah he finds himself in this moment <coughs> praying this incredible prayer on the run from God in this place where only he, can, he can only cry out in his distress and God raises him up in the most crass way possible of appointing the fish to vomit him out on dry land But it's an amazing, I think, opportunity a word to us to be people who cry out to God who trust in the God who hears us, who trust in the God who is with us wherever we might be. And the reason, the reason people that we pray is because of the one who is listening. The only reason that we pray and we can pray with hope and with boldness, is because God is the one who hears us. Because it is God who is for us, who is with us. And we pray to the God who we can trust, hears, and is with, because we see Him in the person of Jesus, who has come to us, walked with us, died for us in the belly of the beast, in the tomb of the dead. All the way there, that is where God is. And then brings life out of the pit in the resurrection of Jesus so that we might again have hope and cry out, Salvation belongs to the Lord. So may we trust that the God who is with us, even in the belly of the beast, bring our lives out of the pit so that we might proclaim that salvation belongs to the Lord. Thanks be to God.